what has happened during COVID is something that has really not happened since the Tower of Babel. It's the first time it's happened since the languages were confused, where the nations of the world came together. And it's really just a preset for the coming reset that the Antichrist will bring. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Current presets should signal you that Satan's reset is approaching and wisdom would dictate that you choose the winning side. Today, we will look at the man leading the coming global economic reset. Today's sermon is entitled, The Great Economic Reset. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 13. If you're new to the Bible, it's easy to find. It's the very last book of the Bible. And if you're with us for the first time, typically we take a book of the Bible and we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we're between books and I'm doing a series that I've entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. And right now we are focusing on the tribulation period as Jesus unfolds it and the Olivet Discourse. He begins with events after the church is raptured all the way until his second coming to the earth. And we studied Matthew 24, 1 through 14 in great depth. And we saw that what Jesus describes as the birth pangs, that they perfectly parallel Revelation 6 and the judgments that will come during the time of the great tribulation. So we're not really in the birth pangs now. What Jesus describes in 4 through 14 of that chapter are but the beginning of the birth pangs. And then there is an event Jesus taught right in the middle of that seven-year period. And the time clock begins with the signing of a peace treaty by the Antichrist with Israel. Daniel affirms it. And Jesus describes it as does the Apostle Paul and John here in the Revelation. It's seven years long. But there's this event right in the middle that is a game changer. You say, well, are the things that we're seeing today indicative of this coming period? Certainly, because to have birth pangs, you have to have a pregnancy. I think what we are witnessing today are the Braxton Hicks contractions, if I might use that term. But once the water breaks, once the tribulation period starts, Like a woman labor, the birth pangs will increase in frequency and in time. And once this mid-event takes place called the abomination of desolation, it will go from tribulation to great tribulation. Now remember, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. Four of his apostles are with him, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they are asking him about the temple, when it's going to go down, when it's going to be destroyed, and his coming. And of course, uh, we have studied uh, the first 14 verses in great detail, so I'll not belabor it, but I want to pick up in verse 15. Now remember, the answer he gives is the longest single answer that Jesus gives to any question ever asked. This is really the longest discourse that he gives right here. And of course, it's on Tuesday before Friday when he's crucified. Let's pick it up in verse 15. These men knew something about the abomination of desolation. They studied Daniel. So Jesus runs off that assumption. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's dead center, right in the middle of the seven years, 
which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So knowing that many in our day don't know what the abomination of desolation is, we've spoken over the last three Sundays of what encompasses that particular event and some of the circumstances surrounding it. We studied first the time frame when this man of sin, the Antichrist, one of 30 titles that are given to him in Holy Scripture, what will be the time frame of his coming, what will be the specifics of how he will desecrate the temple, and then we focused on his religious uh, passions, which really become, among other things, the glue to pull the world together. The Bible teaches what people often call today a great reset. And it comes, according to the Revelation, on three levels. It comes governmentally, it comes religiously, and it comes economically. Uh, maybe you've heard that term before. It used to be called the New World Order, but Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, wrote a book by that title, and it's kind of caught. And so most of the world speak now of the Great Reset. And of course, uh, the first reset that Scripture describes is really not what took place in Noah's day. Some would say, well, that's the Great Reset, the initial one. Now, that was from heaven when God flooded the world and then Noah went into a brand new world, as it were. And it's a picture of what will happen when Jesus comes back and during his kingdom will go into even a regenerated earth. But from man's side, the first great reset that was attempted took place as we studied last week or two weeks ago with Nimrod there at the Tower of Babel. So it's really not anything new. It's something that's very old. And of course, the World Economic Forum meets every year, every year since 1971. It's been in existence for over 50 years. Klaus Schwab is the founder and president of it. The head of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is there every year. The head of the World Bank is there. World leaders from over 100 nations gathered last May again, presidents, prime ministers, kings. It's global in nature. In fact, globalism is a big part of what they are committed to. They believe that all the problems we see in the world today are related to tribes and countries and nations, and that if somehow you could erase the borders and we could create a global unity, then the problems would go away. And of course, that is in rebellion to what God himself instituted in the Torah and what is reaffirmed in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Acts 17 that God has made from one man, referring to Adam, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. So this whole idea of creating justice for all by erasing the borders is really an anti-God move, and it's not really birthed in Klaus Schwab's heart, but it's in the heart of the devil himself. And so their uh, modus operandi, as it were, is to eliminate borders and to use crises 
to try to accelerate that. I don't think it's by accident that our president seems to ignore everyone's admonition that people are coming over the border. Now they say over four million since he's been the president. Look, if you do not have borders, you do not have a nation. God is not against bringing people into a nation. He gave instructions to Israel that they should because they too were once aliens in a foreign land. And he gave them instructions about showing compassion, but he also gave specific guidelines as to how these people were to be received and how they were to act. And that's critically important. In addition, the WEF wants to eliminate the capitalistic economy and to create a socialistic economy. Many young Americans, 51% of millennials are in favor now of socialism. Socialism is an anti-God principle. It defies what scripture says about owning personal property. And so God says you shall not steal. He said you shall not covet. That's impossible unless you own that property or someone else does. But if you eliminate that, then you again, you are creating an atmosphere for globalism. And so during the pandemic, Schwab wrote, quote, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. He didn't see the pandemic as a catastrophe. He saw it as an opportunity. And so again, they're their, their goal is global government. And of course, with the pandemic waning at the last meeting that they just had a few months ago, their focus was on climate change because they see that again as an opportunity to bring the nations of the world together. What has happened during COVID is something that has really not happened since the Tower of Babel. It's the first time it's happened since the languages were confused where the nations of the world came together. And it's really just a preset for the coming reset that the Antichrist will bring. And what he plans to do, again, comes in the same three levels that these world leaders are trying to pull off. Now, with that said, I want to focus this morning beginning in verse 11, but we're going to start reading in verse 1. We've done a careful exegesis of the first 10 verses, so you can go back and listen if that would be helpful to you. But for the flow of thought in context, let's begin reading in verse 1. We're told, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words of blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. 
and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. Now breaking new ground, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. There's a note-taking outline there in your bulletin. If you want to jot down some thoughts for further reflection and study, you can print it out online. There are three truths that I want us to grasp that Satan is going to use to bring about this coming great economic reset. The first truth concerns the man leading the coming global economic reset. That's where I want us to begin. We want to think about this man who will lead the coming global economic reset. Verse 11 introduces us to this new vision that John has. Notice, then I saw another verse coming up out of the earth. Now, read this chapter carefully. There are two beasts. Most often, the beast that you read about is the beast of all beasts, the Antichrist himself. But when you come to verse 11, there is a second beast who, unlike the Antichrist who comes up out of the sea, this second beast comes up out of the earth. And he is described as another beast. We studied earlier that there are two words for another in Greek. Another of a different kind, heteros, and another of the exact same kind, alos. In other words, this is another of the same kind. This is not some animal. This is another literal human. Now, there are some people today, they teach replacement theology they're amillennialists. They are wrong. They thought that because God had done nothing with Israel for nearly two millennia, that God wasn't going to do anything with Israel, that the church has replaced Israel. That's bad theology. I don't know how else to say it. I don't want to be ugly, but it's bad theology, and it has put the body of Christ at large asleep because they are in failure to see what God is doing in the world today. It is not by accident that God said at the end of time he would gather the Jews from the four corners of the world and bring them back into the land. He waited 1,900 years to do it, but he has done it, and he continues to bring the Jews there. And so very often when people look at Revelation and they believe in replacement theology, they spiritualize the book of Revelation. 
And so John Piper or Vadi Bauckham, they say, well, the book of Revelation is history with the exception of the second coming. Now, those are good men. I love them. But they're wrong. This is not history. You have to spiritualize the text. And so John Calvin could not write a commentary on Revelation, though he wrote a, a book on a commentary in every book of the Bible. I have his full set because he didn't know what to do with it. He applied a different principle of interpreting the scriptures, what we call hermeneutics, when it came to prophecy than he did to the rest of the Bible. And unless the, uh, there's something in the text that tells you, well, this is metaphorical and it's not to be taken literally, on the plain sense, makes good sense, don't seek any other sense or you'll come up with sheer nonsense. And that's why there are so many interpretations by amillennialists as they approach the book of Revelation. So they say, well, the beast is some kind of governmental system. No, it's a person. You say, how can you be so dogmatic? Because of what John will write in Revelation 19 and verse 20. This is at the second coming, which they don't deny. And it says, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. They're both, as all lost men will someday meet, the lake of fire. That's where they are thrown. You don't throw an institution into the lake of fire. People will be in the lake of fire. And by the way, uh, Revelation 19, 20, he is given a different title. You will notice he's called the false prophet. So the second beast is also called the false prophet. And there's clearly a difference between the two. Look again at verse 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns. The first beast comes up out of the sea. And when you read first century Greek literature, it's plain that the beast's in the animal realm that people feared the most were those not on the land, but those who were in the sea. Well, this beast, this first beast, is most to be feared. He's represented, as we saw in Revelation 13 and verse 1, as having 10 horns. And this beast, who comes out of the earth, he has just two horns. And so the first beast is, in one sense, the leader of the two, as is unfolded here in the Revelation. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Now remember, he is called the false prophet. It's articular. Not just a false prophet, but the false prophet. He is the false prophet of all false prophets. He'll have many compatriots during the time of the tribulation, as Jesus spoke in, in, in Matthew chapter 24. But this man is the leader of them all. And like most false prophets, they come with deception. He comes with the imagery of a lamb. He's gentle. He's harmless, it seems. He's innocent because he's a counterfeit of the true Lamb of God in his message. Nonetheless, he is a beast. He is in a lamb's disguise, using that as camouflage, and he is bringing a false message. I saw another beast coming up and out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So he is a great imitator, and again, unlike the Antichrist who has 10 diadem, 10 crowns, because his focus first and primarily is that of 
political and governmental, this man who works alongside of the Antichrist, knowing the power of religion to glue people together, his focus is that of religion. Jesus said, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So this lamb has the voice of, a, of the dragon. Now, who is the dragon in the Revelation? Well, he's already spelled it out in chapter 12. He said, the dragon of old, who is the devil? That is Satan of old. And so lambs don't scare people. They come gently, seemingly harmlessly, innocently, much like many of the tele-evangelists that you will see on TV. They seem like super nice guys, but when you pull back the veneer, you discover that their theology is heretical. But most today have zero discernment because they don't know any of the Bible. Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise and mislead many. But this man, because of the articular use of the false prophet, as we just read in Revelation 19, 20, he is the epitome of all false prophets. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And so this pro false prophet, by his language, is linked to the devil himself, who's the dragon. You say, well, what does the dragon speak like? We don't have to wonder. Jesus said in John 8, he said that Satan does, quote, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Sounds like a lot of our politicians. We have people who are children of God, or Jesus will say in this same chapter, you are of your father, the devil. Once you've passed that point of accountability, you're not considered a child of God, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the exousia, to be called deemed children of God. No, you're either in the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness. So we have a politician who speaks, and all he's doing is lying to us. Why? Because he's of his father, the devil. And Jesus will go on to say the devil's a murderer. And so our own president, this week, bragging on Twitter how he's going to protect the right of women to abort their little babies in the womb. Why does he think that way? Because he's of his father, the devil. And the devil is a murderer. Now, we should pray for our president. God could save him like he saved Manasseh or like he saved Nebuchadnezzar. But he's lost. And just like our vice president and our speaker of the house, they are propagating wicked doctrines upon the American public. And so this false prophet is in league and partnered with the evil one, just like the Antichrist is. And so when you hear these men speak, this is the voice of hell itself. And this man especially is the minister of propaganda to try to point people to follow after the Antichrist. And as you study the revelation, you discover that what we find in Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet is an unholy trinity. Satan is described in this chapter as achieving a goal that he always wanted. When all the way back in eternity past, he wanted the heavens, the angelic host to worship him, I will be like the Most High, it will become realized during this time frame. 
Evil beyond evil. Men will worship the devil. We'll see that in a moment. Men will worship the devil through the Antichrist. Just like we go to the Father through the Son. So the Antichrist takes the place of God the Son while the devil takes the place of God the Father. And the false prophet, he takes the place of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points men to Christ. He doesn't call attention to himself. He lifts up Christ. He wants men to love and to worship Jesus. Here's a chart that might help you that I put together some years ago to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and his role and that of this false prophet. The Holy Spirit exalts Christ where the Antichrist exalts Antichrist, or the false prophet exalts Antichrist. The Holy Spirit gives divine revelation, whereas the false prophet gives satanic revelation. The Holy Spirit enlightens us with truth, where the false prophet, well, he deceives with error. The Holy Spirit is building the body of Christ. This false prophet is building the body of the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit, well, he marks us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Even so, the false prophet will point men to receive the mark of the Antichrist himself. The Spirit of God secures us for heaven. The role of the false prophet is to secure people for hell. Now remember, Paul said this to the Corinthian church. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. He's the master imitator. And if he is the master imitator, then you can expect his servants. And these two men, this demonic duo of sorts, will imitate the devil's character. He exercises, notice, verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the beast in his presence. Now, if you look back at the end of verse 2 here in chapter 13, we're told, and the dragon, that's Satan, gave him, contextually the Antichrist, the first beast, his power and his throne and great authority. And we exegeted that in great detail some weeks back. So we're told that the Antichrist rules the world, not by his own power, but with the dragon's power. He's Satan's Superman, as it were. The most powerful fallen angel in all the universe will lead and inhabit this individual, beast number one. Even so, it will be true not just of beast number one, but beast number two. All the authority of the first beast, the second beast will have in his presence. So his authority, his power, his exousia comes from Satan himself. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 017. There is no friendship that is more important than friendship with God. It is a relationship with eternal consequences, and the greatest act of care or concern you can ever show someone is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. If you have never shared Christ with anyone, or if it has been a while since you have done so, we would like to help. Dr. Brogy has written a booklet that highlights five principles that are fundamental to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you like to know God as your friend begins with a number of diagnostic questions and concludes with a presentation of the gospel message. 
These booklets will really simplify sharing your faith. And now we will send you 50 of these booklets as our thanks for a gift of any amount to search the scriptures. Give us a call at 877-787-7478 and ask for the Would You Like to Know God is Your Friend gift pack. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.